Chapter Seventeen of the Submarine Boys on Duty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Submarine Boys on Duty by Victor G. Durham. Chapter Seventeen In the Grip of Horror. Before five o'clock that afternoon, Dunhaven lined the waterfront that is to say fully five hundred people of the little seaport town were on hand the pollard was a local enterprise if the great united states government expected to buy the boat the people of the village wanted to be on hand and give a rousing send-off to a homemade craft that might yet be destined to become famous cheer after cheer went up hats parasols and handkerchiefs were waved I don't know growled one old salt in the shore throng if it was a human sort of craft meant to ride the waves as a good ship should I'd have more faith in her I'm afraid that boat'll go to the bottom one of these days and forget to come up again well, The old salt was promptly voted a croaker Hadn't the Pollard been given abundant tests by her crew had she failed to come up yet? So the cheering redoubled when Captain Jack came up on the platform deck followed by the builder and the inventor Thank you my friends shouted Jacob Farnham making a trumpet of his hands. We all thank you Now Captain Benson make as handsome a flying start as you can Jack already stood by the wheel where he could reach all the controls Down below the gasoline motor throbbed making the hull vibrate power had been ready for the last ten minutes captain jack moved the speed wheel around to the six-mile notch the twin propellers aft began to churn the water lazily causing the pollard to slip away from her moorings ere they had gone a hundred yards jack swung on much more speed by the time that the submarine reached the mouth of the little harbor she was traveling at eighteen miles an hour her bow nosing into the waves and throwing up a fine spray some of which reached the platform deck astern her propellers were tossing the water into a milky foam truly she made a gallant sight for half a mile captain jack kept out to sea and then he turned the craft's nose northward for another hour the pollard was kept at the same speed behaving handsomely then captain jack turned the wheel over to big bill henderson going below to have his supper with builder and inventor as soon as the other watch have had supper proposed mr farnum i think captain will drop fifty feet below the surface and run for an hour or more the navy men will want an even sterner test than that we want to make sure that everything about the craft is running at the top notch of perfection a fortune for pollard and another for myself are at stake on what we show the navy in the next three days oh we can easily show them anything that any submarine craft can do smiled jack benson confidently and i'm certain we can show the navy officers an ease of handling that isn't reached by any other submarine in the world it's a good thing to have a confident captain smiled david pollard a confident captain aboard a reliable boat spells victory when the meal was over captain jack went back above to the wheel there was no moon this night but the stars shone brightly over the water it was a warm night with a gentle breeze and only the gentlest swell to the water the pollard had been slowed down to twelve miles an hour but there was still speed enough for the motion to be exhilarating 
oh it's great to be the captain of probably the most powerful and dangerous sea terror in the world throbbed the boy looking up at the stars how little i dreamed of this a few months ago going to be ready now for the dive and the hours run under water captain inquired mr farnum coming up on deck in about ten minutes sir replied jack pointing forward over the port bow we'll be abreast of point villers light why not dive just abreast of that light it'll give us a starting point to reckon our run from a good idea nodded mr farnum and just then david pollard came up from below both stood watching the young commander for some moments captain remarked the inventor you handle the boat as easily as though you'd been doing this sort of thing for years you must have had some practice aboard rather good-sized craft never anything much bigger than a thirty-foot gasoline boat jack replied in the old days sir a young sailor had to begin with a rowboat go on to a catboat and so work on up until he could handle a full rigged ship and that's where the change has come with today's gasoline boats a fellow who learns to run a twenty-foot gasoline launch can just as easily handle a big gasoline yacht of any size the new style of power saves a heap of time in the learning sir captain jack was now nearing a line abreast of the point villers light he watched keenly at last when just abreast he shouted down through the manhole shut off the gasoline power stand ready to turn on the electric power get ready to dive henderson take the steering wheel in the conning tower less than sixty seconds later the ventilators had been taken in the manhole cover was made fast and all were below save bill henderson who sat at the tower wheel before him an electric lighted compass henderson called captain jack steer north by northeast one point off north aye aye sir came from the seaman in the conning tower hold fast make ready to dive called the young captain and then at the signal hal hastings turned open the sea valves into the diving tanks down shot the pollard the young captain standing by the gauge to watch until they were fifty feet below on even keel he shouted quickly the submarine regained her even keel and ran along at eight miles an hour captain jack benson read the gauge once more to make sure that they were fifty feet below the surface and now we've nothing to watch but the clock until our hour is up he laughed dropping into one of the seats and stretching somehow i notice none of us are as nervous as we were the first time this diving machine went down with us with the electric fans running it was cool and comfortable there and the air as pure as that above the ocean until the point of diving would last for some time without renewing with no wind or wave to buffet and the steady electric power running the propeller shafts the sensation was almost that of being aboard a boat at rest after they had run along thus for a few minutes f went up to take the wheel as bill henderson came down below the young skipper noticed a bright gleam in the seaman's eyes though he thought little of it henderson went forward into the engine room stretching himself out on the leather cushion of one of the seats ever run on a smoother boat than this below the surface henderson inquired captain jack looking in through the engine room door all submarines are alike to me sir replied henderson rather shortly i guess he's been too long at the business to have any enthusiasm left if he ever had any muttered benson to himself and returned to the group in the cabin when one is accustomed to the life and there is confidence in the boat the main sensation when running along below the water's surface is one of great monotony 
All one can possibly see is the interior of the boat and the persons of his comrades. The longer the run below water is continued, the more pronounced does the feeling of monotony become. A well-equipped submarine torpedo craft should be easily capable of running twenty-four hours continuously below the water, but the long-continued monotony of such a length of time below would be almost certain to drive the officers and crew to a high pitch of nervous tension. Indeed, it is doubtful whether men of ordinary nervous powers could stand such a strain. Before fifteen minutes had passed, Jacob Farnum began to tell funny stories to make the time seem to pass more quickly. After ten minutes he gave this up, for he realized his hearers were becoming bored. Phew! sighed Pollard. An hour below the surface is certainly as long as twenty-four hours can be anywhere else. I shall be glad when the hour is up, admitted Captain Jack candidly, and yet no one proposed cutting the time short by returning to the surface sooner. Hal Hastings climbed up into the conning tower to take the trick at the wheel for the last twenty minutes. Indeed, occupation of any sort helped to kill some of the time. I believe, laughed Jacob Farnum, glancing about him, we all feel just about as though we had lost confidence in the Pollard's ability to rise when the time comes. From the engine room came a burst of seaman's song. Bill Henderson was loudly crooning some ditty. Although the listeners could not make out the words, the song had a gruesome sound that made one's flesh want to creep. Shall I tell him to stow that noise? asked Captain Jack. No, replied Mr. Farnum, though he made a grimace. If it cheers the fellow any, let him have his melody. Presently Henderson was singing another song. Those in the cabin paid little heed until the sailor's voice roared out the couplet, Down below went the good brig Mary. She was heard from again, nary. Say, that's fine, muttered F. Summers, in an undertone loaded with sarcasm. The seaman's voice reached them now in a hushed undertone of murmured song, and later it swelled out into this gruesome forecastle refrain. Where the sharks go to prey, and the dead men lay, where the crabs crawl to bite, and the eels— Henderson! rang the young captain's voice sharply. Aye, aye, sir, came a growl from the engine room. Save that song for the deck watch. We want to hear the clock tick. Aye, aye, sir. The seaman was as good as his word. No more of the awesome ditty floated back from him. The time yet to remain below surface narrowed down to ten minutes, then to five, and at last, tick by tick, the time wound by until the full hour of submergence had been finished. Henderson, shouted Captain Jack, leaping to his feet, stand by to empty the water tanks. Aye, aye, sir, responded the big sailor, coming out of the engine room. He went to the proper rack, then turned to ask, Where's the wrench, sir? Why, they're in its rack, of course, cried Captain Benson, leaping forward. You're looking at it. I'm looking at the rack, sir, but I don't see no wrench, sir, replied Henderson calmly. What's that? The wrench mislaid, demanded Jacob Farnham, also leaping forward and staring with dismayed eyes into the rack. Oh, it has dropped somewhere, or been mislaid. In another instant there was a frenzied search for that invaluable wrench, without which the Pollard could not be brought to the surface. So frantically did they search, that they frequently got in each other's way. Hal Hastings shut off the speed, and came tumbling down below to aid. Don't get excited, friends, begged Jacob Farnham in a voice that shook. 
of course we're going to find the wrench it's aboard somewhere of course it is now let's begin a systematic search in a short time every conceivable nook and corner had been explored though it seemed absurd that the wrench should be lost and yet a fearful conviction began to settle down over the startled ones that it would not be found in time even the breathing air of the pollard's interior could not be renewed without the wrench though each strove to conceal his feelings from the others grim horror soon had them all in its grip end of chapter seventeen